Hello and welcome to another episode of The Code of Career. Today's guest is Marc Louvion. Marc is a French software engineer living over in Bali in Indonesia. He's a prototypical indie hacker, meaning that he runs several small software businesses. On today's show, myself and Mark discuss how he managed to learn most of what he knows today about coding via entrepreneurship. We also discuss at what point should you get into entrepreneurship if you may be interested in it. We also have a healthy debate about universities and whether they're actually worth it in 2022. As always, do just feel to jump in our Discord if you want to chat about the episode or ask any advice from our community. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Hey, Cam. Nice. Thank you. Pretty late where you are as well. I think this is the, uh, the longest time difference I've ever had with a guest. You're, you're over in Bali, right? Exactly. The east side of the globe. It's uh, currently 8 p.m. Oh, nice. Must be must be warm as well. Super warm, like 30 degrees, <laughs> super humid, a lot of rain. Here, here in Scotland, it's just been snowing. So I've been uh, just trudged back from town uh, through the snow and uh, it's nice. But yeah, definitely I could do with being somewhere tropical right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I could use some snow right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. So um, obviously, particularly people that maybe don't follow you on, on Twitter, they may not have come across you before. Do you want to explain like who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I've been building apps for seven years. I guess I'm an entrepreneur, but like a not super ambitious entrepreneur. I try to make apps that I can use myself. And uh, if it works, I'm happy. If it doesn't, then I just move on and build other apps. And I'm currently working on um, a couple projects. Uh, one of them is Habits Garden. It's a gamified habit tracker that I use to um, to help users stick to their goals by making them play some games. And that's pretty much my full-time job. It's very nice. Yeah, what I like about um, your Twitter bio, I was looking before the uh, before we started recording. Uh, you've got must be like six different projects on the go in, in the bio there, which I which I thought was very cool. So, um, and are you are you a self taught software engineer then? How did you break into coding? Uh, it started at university, but I didn't really learn coding there. I, I was supposed to, uh, but I was not into the mood, and I was just more into like parties and beers with the friends. <laughs> And so I didn't learn much. Actually, I didn't learn anything. And then I, after graduation, I don't know how I graduated, but I managed to graduate. And then I was like, I got to do something with my life. And I didn't want to follow the traditional software engineer path. I, I like coding, but not for someone. So I was like, hey, I'm going to try to do some stuff and see if that works. And um, I basically started to learn after university by making apps by my, for myself. Okay, nice, cool. So was that, uh, when you say apps, are we talking like web applications or are we talking like a, a, a kind of native mobile app? Uh, websites mostly and couple, couple, couple native mobile apps, but uh, more, more websites. Yeah, I think it's, it's often a case where people aren't particularly inspired by what goes on at university. Like I know for me, like I, I didn't do software engineering or computer science, I did business, um, but it just never really caught my interest and again like, like you say there's a lot of beers and, and partying going on around university so I definitely got myself a bit too stuck into that it's a familiar tale for me um and yeah I I, I guess what what gave you the mentality of you didn't want to code for someone you want to code for yourself it's a familiar feeling I know that feeling uh so what where do you think that drive comes from um I think as a kid I was playing Legos on my bedroom and I spent hours building them. And and that freedom of, you know, being able to have tools and, and be able to build something, uh, I guess it's something that's coming from my youth. And, and if I was not inside, I was outside building huts 
in a forest. And so that, that kind of building feeling for things that I could use myself got me like thrilled. And I guess that's the, the start of the coding career I started. Yeah. That's a nice, uh, that's a nice loop back to the podcast name there. I like that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, 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 I can relate to that quite a lot myself, actually. Again, I, I was really into, into the Lego building stuff outside. I often feel like if I had some kind of job where I was banned from using computers, I'd probably be like a, like a plumber or, or an electrician or something like that. Just the feeling of building something and having it actually work is really mm. satisfying. And totally. especially if it's the sort of thing where you go and launch it to customers uh, and you're doing all of that by yourself, it's a pretty, pretty awesome feeling. And um, I mean, in, in terms of what you learned to build first, how, how did you decide I'm going to build an application and launch it? What, what was that process? How did you pick the technology stack? How did you pick the niche that you wanted to launch into? Because it's a difficult question, both from a technical and commercial side. Yeah. Um, you want to start from the very beginning or how I do it now? Very beginning. That, that, that's, uh, yeah, because then we can find out about how, what you learned from it. You, I think your audience will kill me. When I said I didn't learn anything <laughs> in university, I really didn't learn anything. So after graduation, I didn't know what was an HTML page. And I didn't know, you know what happens when you go on Google.com. And I was like, I'm going to build an app. I'm going to build like a Tinder for sport people to help you find a tennis partner or a running partner some kind of Tinder that will fight someone that will sport with similar skills as you. And I started to learn Ionic. Like a fr I didn't know what was JavaScript. Mm. And I learned Ionic. It was like mental madness. And I, I managed to get some codes working from here, from GitHub, from guys on YouTube. And I made an application that was like buggy as hell, super slow. And it took a year to build, like literally a year in my bedroom building the thing, thinking it was the next Facebook. And then after a year, some guy told me, but man, you're, you're not going to earn money with this. Like you might not even get users. And that killed my mood literally. And I was like, and I couldn't see the app for six months. I took like a break off. I went on holiday. That was, yeah, that was the, the first step in the entrepreneurship journey. So I, I learned <laughs> coding with a framework and then slowly I get back to learning JavaScript and the basic of HTML, CSS and things. That's a really, really interesting story. I've never heard a story, to be honest, I've interviewed probably over 50 people on this show now. That's definitely the most interesting kind of way that someone's learned initially um, that I've heard. That's, I, I think the audience would be interested because it's a way of, it's a way of learning, learning by necessity. Um, mm. But I could imagine it's a very hard way of jumping straight into, into Ionic. Do, do you still use Ionic these days? Or? No, and I didn't learn anything from that because I, I, I wouldn't even be able to understand the code I wrote back then. It was just like pieces of code <laughs> that I copy-pasted. From learning from that, you would understand, I suppose, that you needed to go and learn from HTML and and and, and that. So everything's a lesson, right? And then I, so after that, that's when you went down the more traditional route of of learning HTML, CSS, JavaScript, all of that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And was that like a kind of free co-camp kind of thing, or did you decide to invest in something else? Uh, so after that experience, I went in South Korea with a friend of mine. We raised some money. Um, we wanted to predict how the, the prices of flight tickets are going to change in the next couple of days. Oh, so, you yeah. know, if you log into your web to the Skyscanner tomorrow, the price might decrease yeah. compared to today. And we wanted with algorithm to tell the user when is a good time to buy. Uh, we raised $100,000 for that. We moved to Korea because the, the investor was South Korean. And we raised a little team doing the machine learning algorithm. And I started to learn how to build mobile apps, like native apps, uh, with React Native. And so I stepped back. I learned JavaScript, 
and then React and then React Native. Mm -hmm. I did like Udemy courses and went back to the traditional way of, of learning things. And the app looked all right. <laughs> so, so did you, you raise this money for the investor before knowing how to do all this stuff? Or is it a, a simultaneous? Yeah. Before. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty cool. How did you how did you pull that off then? Was that just like a it was a purely from a commercial side, like kind of we'll raise money now and then we'll figure out how to do it afterwards? But was that the the approach? Yeah, the the point we were not even supposed to code. Um, I did I did jump into coding because we needed someone. My my business partner at the time was not a coder at all, so I kind of chose to code because we need we needed someone that would understand the tech guys because the app is a tech thing. Yeah. So that's why I jumped into coding. Uh, okay, cool. That um, that makes sense. And then you jumped into uh, into React Native to, to to build all that. Would you still recommend if someone wanted to build some kind of mobile application? Would you say React Native is the way to go now, or, or something else? That's probably what I would choose. But it was honestly, it was 2017, and I think things change mm. really fast in the tech world. And I haven't, <laughs> Especially, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> I haven't brought and changes very fast. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Even like a, you take a, a one year break and 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 everything has changed. So after five years, I'm not sure I would recommend it. Um, but it, back then it was it was working like a charm. Yeah. How how did that um how did that company go when uh what what was the end result of it managing that tech team and everything like that? It was it was a brand new experience. Um, the Korean culture is very different. So hiring Korean people was a, a whole new learning by itself. Uh, the life in Korea as well was really different. Uh, we also realized that we were super ambitious, but uh, $100,000 investment when the minimum ticket for uh, flight data is a million dollar, it's not going to get you really far. So we had to play with other data that are not the flight industry, the airline industry. So we played with gasoline data. We also, also have like a price uh, connected to a time. Hmm. So we could start building algorithm with those data for much cheaper. But, you know, we we're just like two kiddos out of university, trying things in uh, the roles as a CTO and CEO were not clearly defined. And so at some point, we just decided that we didn't know where to go and um, and we stopped that project. Moving to Korea, did, did you have to learn Korean then as part of that? Or were you able to just conduct the business in, in like English or French? Employees speak English, it was good. Um, but obviously, learning Korean was a plus for the daily life because in Korea, people don't speak, people speak good English, but they're shy. So you end up having to talk in Korean. So I started to learn slowly, then met a Korean girl, then became my wife. And so now I'm learning Korean. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And so now now you're living this lifestyle in um, in Bali where you're where, where you're indie hacking. What does a typical day look like to you? Because a lot of the a lot of people who listen to this are more curious about their their learning to code right now. And they may not have even come across the term indie hacker. What does an indie hacker do day to day? Especially somewhere nice like Bali. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think the indie hackers have a very different lifestyle. Um, the way I I define it, it would be like an entrepreneur who is um, lifestyle oriented. So mm -hmm. I don't have an ambition to build a unicorn. I don't want to have VCs. I don't want to have employees. I just want to work for myself um, and have the complete freedom of being able to close my computer whenever, no calls, no meetings. Uh, that's probably how would I would I define it. In a typical yeah, day, it's a very attractive proposition for uh, for many people. <laughs> Yeah, 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 it is, it is. But it's, it's also thinking that because it's less ambitious, it's easier. It could, it could be a trap because it's not that easy to, you know, have, having to do everything by yourself. 
sometimes you know the mental thing the um, you have to do market coding is great um it's super exciting to build features but when you have to do the marketing part it's a little bit less fun so <laughs> you have to do a little bit of everything um which also makes it exciting but uh yeah days are days are filled filled with work but uh yeah i would i would normally wake up at six go surf two hours come back coffee read um and then start to work from nine until whenever I finish, which is usually <laughs> 9 p.m., um, eat some food and sleep. Yeah, so it's not it's not an easy, definitely people shouldn't be deluded and think it's an easy job if you're working like 10, 12 hours a day. Uh, even if it's, you have the freedom, doesn't mean you can't, you, you don't work, right? Yeah, it's something I'm trying to explain to my family is that if you're a remote person, if you're a developer and you're remote in Bali, it's a perfect, it's a dream. But the fact that you're indie hacking, you do everything yourself, you're always in work mode. And it's, it's a, uh, Beside the surf in the morning where, um, you know, it's it's a bit exotic, I don't really see most of Bali. Like I spend 98% of my time in this bedroom where I work, I stretch and I sleep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it also depends on your personality. Like I have friends who you know, just work half a day and, and enjoy the other half of the day. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think pe- people do get this really romantic image of uh, going, going and living somewhere exotic and um, the work often never factors into that. And I guess it's one of those things like, uh, you know, you still got to do the work. And unfortunately at the beach, there's a lot of glare on a laptop screen and sand gets inside laptops. So you can't, I mean, I, I've never tried to work on beach myself, but I can imagine that's what it's like. <laughs> yeah. And it's also so hot. So the computer will just burn and melt. <laughs> Yeah. See, in Scotland, uh, the beach is the opposite problem. It's just freezing cold. So you'd be there in your big coat just typing away. <laughs> <laughs> so so your um, your most recent big project was Habits Garden. I, I've been trying the app out myself. I think it's really cool. And um, it's handy for people like me that often try and gamify everything. How, how well first off how does the app work for uh for a from from a user's point of view and then how did you, how did you build it uh the apps work it's a habit tracker um and it has a little plus uh it's uh it turns your habit into a game so instead of completing your habits daily you would complete quests that will give you random rewards uh you will earn some gems that will um, let you create uh, a little grow and create a garden um, you can level up your flowers. You can play with friends. There are leaderboards um, where you can compete against other players to see who's the most consistent for the week, most the most consistent for the month. Um, some game features that gamers like you and I like to keep you motivating to you know complete your habits. And um, and the way I created Habits Garden, it's um, do you, you want to know about the tech stack or just the things i think both mind. uh yeah both the tech stack and also the process where because this isn't your first indie hacking um business what yeah. first off how do you pick the tech stack why do you pick the tech stack you do and how do you actually then go about building it from conception to production uh i think i found my tech stack this year um so the app is next.js on the front end um tailwind css for the um the styles and uh daisy ui for the components and on the back end, it's an API hosted on Heroku. It's a Heroku Dino with uh, an Express server. And the database is on MongoDB. And it took me a while to get to this point. Um, I used to do SPAs with React, just React. And then I realized uh, when you make com- more complex apps, like a habit tracker, we have a lot of pages where sometimes you need the page to load before it comes um, on the user's smartphone. It's better to use Next.js. 
And uh, I think my go-to tech stack now would be either what I'm using for Habits Garden or just remove the Heroku backend and just have the slash API on on Node.js, Next.js. I was going to ask you that question, actually, because my tech stack would be basically identical, like the Next.js setup. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have a separate Heroku Dino running running the API. Um, what's the reason why you're not using Next.js's inbuilt API? Because I didn't know what was Next.js about a year ago. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been missing out. And, um, and yeah, this app has been, for me, the learning curve where now I'm confident building apps, but it took me years before I get to that point. Like I, two years ago, I didn't know what was an API. So That's pretty awesome to be in that position two years ago and now have multiple. I mean, you've got multiple businesses running and generating MM, MRRs and monthly recurring revenue for people who aren't familiar because uh-huh. you track that on Twitter, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's um that's pretty that's pretty awesome. I think it goes to show for people that you know you don't have to be some kind of like absolute developer guru from day one to then go and launch your own business independently. And sometimes it's one of the best ways to actually learn, uh, really. And I guess you're not just learning about ideal tech solutions, but you're also learning other skills. Like you had to pick up the marketing and the business side of things. How how, how have you decided to market it alongside um, the, uh, the the launch? Um, I would now Twitter is a good help because um, I have I have some following now, so it's easier to get uh, people to see the app. Um, I would definitely launch on Product Hunt, which is a site where uh, your product is showcased for twenty four hours, and the one with the most upvotes uh, is featured at the top, so you can get a couple thousand visitors on your website in a couple hours. Um, and being having a following on Twitter really help to push that Product Hunt launch. Um, so that's one thing, um, but this takes a little time to start. That's why also I build a lot of apps until now, because every apps you build, you get some kind of following, and then that helps for the next one, then for the next one, and you build on top of it. Um, otherwise, I had I had some mild success on Reddit and Hacker News. Um, Reddit has been wild. Sometimes I, I would just post something. I would remove the promotion on my website. So if, let's say, I make an app that has... Um, a paid plan, I would remove the paid plan for the time I launch on Reddit because Redditors hate ads. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, if it works, like uh, I would get, I, I had days where I remember like an app got 50,000 visitors in 24 hours. I couldn't sleep. It was like people spamming the website crazy, like 300 visitors at, a t- at the same time on the website. And I was like, what's going on? And sometimes Reddit is just a bomb. So um, yeah, up and downs with Reddit, Hacker News, same. Uh, sometimes it's it's working really well. Sometimes it doesn't work, and um, yeah. So the re- regular launching things I can use Reddit, Twitter, Product Hunt. Okay, cool. And how how do you handle uh, those spikes in traffic, uh, particularly when something like Reddit, where everyone floods in at once? Do you have anything built into your tech stack to try and like something on like a load balancer or something like that? Yeah, I do have these for Habits Garden. Um, for the API, it has it checks some IPs. Make sure you cannot, you know, make like um, for like errors calls uh, like more than fifteen a minute or something. Yeah. Um, for some apps where like I have an app where people can post uh, productivity hacks. Um, it's a crowdsource and you don't need an account, so you can go on the site, post something, and everybody could see it without having regi- a registered account. So that's, that's uh, I was playing the, the, around with this. It's called uh-huh. fi- fifty. Is it fifty hacks? It is. Is that the name? Yeah, I was playing around with that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks, man. If you mix this with uh, fifty thousand visitors from Reddit, 
it's it was the site was flooded with <laughs> um, porn jokes, stupid jokes, politics, um, race, oh. some even some racist stuff. So just yeah, coding some filters like spam filters, words, um, IP limitations, whatever I could find <laughs> to help with that. Yeah. Did you, uh, so stuff like IP limitations and uh, filters, did you just use like pre-existing packages or, or did you actually have to then go in and write all that from scratch? Um, I think I, there's something called IP limiter. It's a, it's a package on whatever, NPM. And, I wouldn't yeah, remember the yeah. name exactly, but yeah, it's a, I use this for, I would use pre-made packages for different things. So, so yeah. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of the time people get, there's obviously there's advantages to not using packages, of course, because then it's your code and you're, you're maintaining it. But I think a lot of the time people get, people forget that coding is an art, but it's an art of pragmatism. And actually the fact that we have such good ecosystem in JavaScript slash TypeScript mm -hmm. um, with everything under NPM, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. And there's situations like, like that is I would do exactly the same thing where if there's an NPM package for it, I, I would just use it, especially if it's a well-supported one. Yeah. Yeah. And also coming back to the Hindi hacker topic, since you do everything, sometimes it's just easier to add some, you know, weight on your, on your website and, and have something that's made for you in one minute and you don't have to do it. Cause at the end of the day, you don't know if the website is going to work. Most startups will fail. So you'd rather build something quickly and using packages and and if it works you can still remake you know the package by yourself later but at least if it fails which is the case most of the time you don't spend the time coding that that thing yourself yeah i guess it kind of relates to that saying i think uh did i think reed hoffman said it where if you're not embar embarrassed by your v1 then you've launched too late uh basically where everything has to still be a bit janky and like there is going to be some problems uh but you've just got to get something out there so you know what to improve uh, because otherwise you're just sat thinking, oh, you're going to be stuck in a cycle of I've constantly got to improve this next thing before we launch. And then before you know it, you, ne you never actually got your product out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I like that quote. Yeah, it's it's a good one. And I think about it quite a lot. And uh, obviously it doesn't apply as much in a corporate job. Like my day job, I work for quite a large company at the moment, um, but I couldn't I couldn't get away with my pull requests saying, uh, you know, being completely janky, but it's a different situation. And if you're trying to build a product of, of V1, especially in the context of if it's the first time you're trying to build something, then just get it done. And if you've done it the wrong yeah. way, it's fine. You can come back and improve upon it another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I'm I'm tweeting mostly about this nowadays because that's one of the main takeaways from that like six six something years journey. It's like when it's the first thing you're making, the first version, the V1, as you said, mm. uh, just ship it as fast as you can, and the rest yeah. will be improved later. Yeah, exactly. So have you have you literally never had a software engineering job? Then you've always just been an entrepreneur as a coder. Yes, I I got a six. Um, wait, okay. This is a, a weird, fun story. Um, I just, I got a job for six months. It was about a year ago. I was not feeling so well and I thought I would take a break from the entrepreneurship journey. So I, I got my first software engineer job and it ended up, I ended up working for Ty Lopez. Do you know who? Uh, here in my garage, just bought this new Lamborghini <laughs> here, but you know what I love more? Knowledge. That guy, right? <laughs> oh man, you know a lot. Yeah, that's exactly him. 
Oh, you remember yeah, that? I remember he, he, he got he got memed on so hard, like in uh, like 2016. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, wow. You, it's exactly what he says in the video. <laughs> How did you end up working for him? What's the story there? I didn't know. I was looking for a job as a software engineer and I applied for that company that has a name that has nothing to do with Ty Lopez. And at the end of the interview, the guy said, do you want to pass on a message for Ty Lopez? And I bugged. I was like, what is going on here? And then I realized that it's actually his company, but the name is just like running completely differently. And uh, I was hired after two weeks and I worked for him for six months. <laughs> and what, up... what, what did you build? We uh, So I was software engineer slash project manager and we built a lot of, um, a lot of apps that has... I didn't like the job to be honest, but uh, just... <laughs> Just apps like uh, he wants to, he has a lot of ideas. They're not really connected to each other and he wants to launch some apps. So one of the main one I worked on was um, a polling app. So kind of like a Twitter, but just Twitter with only the poll version of it. You can ask a questions, A or B, and the audience votes, basically. Mm. Interesting. And um, what, I mean, how come it was only six months? Was it just like, were you constantly having to just chase your tail with these ideas and that's why you left or? I got fired. That's why I left. <laughs> oh, fair enough. That's a good a reason as any. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was great because it was a time where I actually I wanted to leave and I needed some push and so it was just yeah. just perfect and that's where I get back to the Hindi hacking journey and having a more open building in public journey. Yeah. I w- would you say that you uh, would change anything about the process of how you actually developed your software engineering skill set and, le- and learned to code? Are you glad you did it the way you did, or do you wish sometimes that you took a more conventional route and did work a, uh, a software engineering job for a corporate? Now, um, if there's something I would change, I would change the way I was taught at university. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being taught something like LDAP, repository for enterprise things like some very complex topics that when you're 21 you don't necessarily need to know like first learn what's an html page learn what's going on when you type the address a website a domain name on your address bar and then teach me more advanced concepts so i feel like those five years in university were just pointless and if there's something to change that's probably what i would change yeah that makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, I can't speak for the computer science degrees, but from uh, the whole reason why I discovered code actually was because my uh, my housemate in university, the guy I lived with, like all the way through university, they needed an extra guy on their football team for the computer science department um, for like the intramural league. Uh, so uh, they needed me to play in defense for them. So I got to know all of the computer science guys. So um, I found out about their course. And again, it was a similar s- story of like, there wasn't any focus on the actually commercially useful stuff um, on on their course. They never learned anything that was actually stuff they would go and learn. And a lot of them, I've stayed in touch with a lot of them and just said, and it was a good university as well. A lot of them were just like, I may as well have just done a boot camp when I was 18 and then just gone into the, into the job. Oh, yeah. 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 Practical examples. Yeah, good. exactly. Because it's like... Um, even on even on my, on my degree in business, it was like we still had to do some modules where we had to launch a mock business and like come up with a full business plan. And that sort of thing is actually kind of useful. Whereas I feel like computer science is yeah. still taught in a very academic way. And maybe less than 5% of people will actually use what they're taught on that degree. Um, and 95% of people learn 
stuff that isn't actually going to be that useful down the line for what they actually need to know. And maybe it's yeah. changing a bit now. And I've noticed that here in the UK, at least, there's more courses on web development and software engineering. But a, a lot of it is very old school. Like, realistically, how many people are actually going to need to program in C? Like, really? You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, there's a problem when you learn more with a YouTube course in two hours than you than you do in, in two months at university. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's the, the wealth of information online. Basically, university institutions can't keep up with it. And I always mm. wonder, like, um, by the time I have children and they go to university, what university will even look like by that point? Because uh, yeah. I know, obviously, I guess, I guess you went to university in France, right? Um, yep. Yeah, because here in the UK, they, they, they made the, the, the tuition fees even more expensive. So when I went to university, it was £9,000 per year, which is then you ha then have to pay interest on that. So I left university £35,000 in debt, and it just keeps going up each, each month. And because it's tied to inflation this year, it went up a ridiculous amount. And it, it's, it's, it's like a millstone. You're never going to pay it off um, when actually you don't get that much value out of it. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult question i i wonder what university will look like in 20 30 years time yeah it's good yeah it's, an, it's a good question yeah people are probably being put off going to university study computer science now but we haven't given them an alternative of what they should learn other than researching online if you were learning to code in 2022 or I suppose it'll be 2023 by the time this comes out um what would you advise people should go and learn if they either want to be an indie hacker or work uh, at first in a corporate dev job would your advice be different for what you should learn or would it be the same? I wouldn't advise someone for a corporate job because I, I honestly have no idea. Mm -hmm. um, I learned the very practical and I learned just the minimum to get what I want, which is making a business online, which is kind of different what you know you need to learn for having a corporate job. Um, if someone wanted, doesn't know anything, it's 2023 and that person wants to become a Hindi hacker, um, I think I would... I would consider no code. Um, mm -hmm. And if I was learning to code, I would understand the very basis. Like I would search what's an HTML page, um, what is CSS, what is JavaScript, um, how does the information travels on the internet, what happens when I go on google.com, facebook.com. Um, and I will slowly build from there. Uh, and and every time I would learn something, I will apply it. So I will, I will make a very simple HTML page, run it on my local host, host it online, um, make my friends go on it and then go from the very the foundations, the roots and build on, on top of this. Yeah, I totally agree with that advice of building something applicable at each step. I think that's what really helped me. Like, even if it was something really simple, just having something that would be useful for either a business or a consumer. Like, mm -hmm. even with HTML, you can build something useful. You can build a web form with pure HTML and that's... It, it, that's manipulating and posting data, which is one of the most important bits of infrastructure on the internet. So even if you just learn to build a form with HTML, it, that is already a really super useful thing for you to learn. And if you start building projects, then you're not going to get completely stuck in tutorial hell. And the even better way yeah. to build a project is to launch it somehow. And then who knows, you could spin it out to actually be a proper business. Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. Yeah, do, yeah. do something, build some apps and... and very small at the very at the beginning and then build on top of it mm. i have a random question for you actually that i was meaning to ask yeah. um you mentioned mongodb as part of like the ideal stack right now for the indie hacker what do you think about superbase 
same as next year a year ago I, i don't really know what's super base <laughs> <laughs> it looks very cool because i'm trying i'm gonna try and try it out over the christmas uh, over the christmas break and um it, it seems like it just does almost everything you want out of the box for very very cheap uh and it's not and it's kind of like a cheap alternative to Firebase. And also as well, it's not managed by Google because every time I use a Google service, I tend to like it, but I'm always just terrified that they're going to pull the plug on it because Google turns everything yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so that's a, okay. That's a Firebase alternative. And it has a, is that, it has database as well? Yeah, so it's it's all inbuilt. And then I think you can do some serverless stuff with it. Uh, like it's in, incredibly um, powerful. Like... Uh, Uh, I was introduced to it by um, by Co Code with Guillem. Um, if you've come across him before, yep. uh, me and him are always talking on Twitter, and yeah, he he's like a super fan of um, of Superbase, and is like always chatting with the team over there. And he was the one that persuaded me to give it a proper try, and it it seems really cool so far. I'm going to try and build some kind of MVP using it um, during yep. the Christmas break. So, in fact, actually, this is a nice challenge for me to be accountable. Is I'm going to mention this now. I'm going to build an app that helps people um, track their job interview process. Um, I'm going to try and build that using Superbase and then I'm going to document it on YouTube um, is, is my plan. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that over the Christmas break and this will probably come out in around mid-January. So <laughs> that's my challenge, basically. People have got to know what I'm talking about and there's got to be a link to it in the description. If not, I've failed. <laughs> that's perfect. I mean, that's the dream. I mean, like just directly applying what you learn is so nice. You should tweet it as well. Yeah, I should do. I'm really bad at tweeting. How how do you get over this is a maybe a lame question for me but how do you get over the anxiety of of tweeting like knowing what's an interesting thing to tweet because I never really know what I should and shouldn't tweet but a lot of your tweets are like banger tweets like they get really good engagement like what's the secret behind creating an interesting twitter Oh that's a, that's, a, that's one of the question um I have I've been on twitter for about a year and the first eight months were just nothing void no followers mm. and just me spending time on twitter trying to craft things and then i stopped thinking about it and i'm like i'm just going to share what i do on my computer so the ups the downs um the feeling emotions screenshots of this uh what i learned and that started to work um people started to follow said that it's it's inspiring so i just doubled down on that and i don't i really don't think too much like if i got a new feature for my app Um, I'll share a GIF or a video of it working. And um, if a customer is, a new customer is paying and, you know, it gives me a good feedback, I will tweet it. It's just very basic things. And reflecting on emotions, um, as an as a solo entrepreneur, sometimes you go through downs and ups, um, sharing how I, I fix the downs, how I end up the ups. Um, I also build in public, so I, I, I'm really uh, transparent on my Twitter. Um, not just with my business, but with everything in my life, where I live, um, how much I earn, um, what I do on a daily basis. And and seems like it's also inspiring some other people. So yeah, not much thinking anymore, just sharing the behind the scenes of uh, my apps. Yeah, it's definitely a super inspiring um, Twitter journey to follow. So I've been been enjoying following you and the, the listeners should definitely follow too. And your your account will be in the uh, in the description. Have you uh, have you tried TikTok at all? Because I've I've had the best results on that. Like uh, sometimes you get crazy virality on it. I haven't tried, but uh, I think it's a, it's a good it's the place to be right now. What do you do on TikTok? 
so I share mainly career tips and then also as well, I've been sharing some code snippets as well. So it's been, um, it's been an interesting journey. Like, uh, the commenters on there are quite savage. Like it's nowhere, like it's way worse than Twitter. Like I now have insecurities that I never knew about. Uh, like, <laughs> especially when you do a live stream on TikTok, like, um, some guy just joined my live stream. I was live streaming to like four people. Some guy just joins and goes, uh, comments, man, you've got a huge forehead to me. And I have never thought that in my entire life. And now every time I look in the mirror, all I can see is my forehead. <laughs> oh, but yeah, you, you have to have a bit of a thick skin for TikTok because their moderation isn't quite at the same level that like Twitter is. <laughs> but it's still some cool people on there. Um, I've interviewed a few tiktok famous developers are on this show actually and uh there's a lot of a lot of people building cool stuff on there yeah they, yeah twitter is kind of um, a dreamy bubble where everybody especially in the hacker in the hacker world everybody is uh kind to each other supporting each other mm. so you don't see you know the bad you i've, I've never had like a, a fight or an argument on twitter after a year um but it looks like you get the a thick skin because you're laughing about the those TikTok, uh, <laughs> lives so it's good yeah, they could say much worse than, than me having a big forehead. Um, but yeah, to, the indie hacking Twitter community is awesome. And I definitely encourage people to get involved in it because something I found that even if you're not actively building a product at the moment, everyone's really willing to um, share advice. And I think obviously you're a great follower. I think someone who I've always talked about people should follow is uh, Simon Simon Hoiberg, I think you pronounce, um, yep. who runs Feedhive. Uh, his uh, his advice is fantastic as well. And it was interesting. He actually came out of the video a couple of weeks ago that uh, agreed with what you said earlier about embracing no code and how sometimes it can be better to build a, an MVP via no code before jumping in and building an actual coded version. Yep, yep. But yeah, people should um, definitely check out that. So just uh, indie hacking on Twitter. Once you follow one person, you end up following everyone anyway. So mm. it's quite easy to get into. So definitely, if you if you're curious about joining um, joining indie hacking Twitter, then just follow each of us on Twitter. The links are in the description. But um, yeah, I mean, was there anything else uh, you wanted to ask me about, Mark? Or how can people find out more about your products and, and check them out as well? I think the best place, the best place with my, my Twitter, uh, that's where I have a link to most of my products that are alive today. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been really interesting to hear about your story and um, it's been a pleasure behind the scenes. We've been trying to arrange this for a while now. So it's been a real pleasure finally getting to speak. <laughs> yeah, man, it was really nice to, to be in here. Thank you so much. Brilliant. And as you mentioned, if people want to get in touch with you, Twitter is the best way. The links to that in, in the description. And uh, thank you as well to the audience for tuning in to another episode of The Code of Career. We are in your Spotify and everywhere else you get your podcast feed every other Monday. Uh, do check us out in the description. Thanks, everyone.